Welcome everyone. This is Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health. And today I am joined by Annie Popper, who is a limbic retraining specialist. Now, if you don't know what that means, you're in for a treat because that seems to be the foundational core of the dysfunction and the challenges that so many people have with electromagnetic hypersensitivity or chronic fatigue syndrome or fibromyalgia. So as you know, either you may suffer from these or you know someone that does. So there is a novel way to address it that she's come up with because she was affected with this. She was actually homeless, not because she was derelict in her financial responsibilities, but she couldn't tolerate any environment. So she had to really escape and she'll share that story with us. But I met her uh, well, about six months ago at an autism conference run by Jenny McCarthy called Generation Rescue. We met in the EMF tent and a good friend of mine, Peter Sullivan, was uh, resonated with her work and actually benefited from it. So I was really intrigued and read her book, which is Wired for Healing, which is a great resource. So with that introduction, Annie, I'd like to welcome you and thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much, Dr. Mercola. It's so great to be on your show. Thanks. All right. So um, why don't you share your story of how you actually became homeless and suffered with this the, the, I believe the chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia and a whole litany of other uh, uh, symptoms, but how you were able to actually understand and resolve it is really a fascinating story. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, not a story I would highly recommend to anyone for sure, but uh, you know, I'm grateful that I have my own experience so that I can help other people recover. So it started in 2004, and I was working as a core belief counselor in Kelowna, British Columbia. And uh, I was working in an office that unfortunately was a sick building. There was mold in the office and actually my office was located right next door to the janitor's supply room where they held all the cleaning chemicals uh, for the office, all those really heavy duty industrial cleaners. And um, what I also didn't know is uh, the actual office that I was renting used to be a part of the janitor supply room. And uh, they just put up an a wall to make a little office space. And I actually didn't have proper ventilation either. So I worked in that office for about five months. And over that period of time, I started to get progressively sick. Now, even if I back up even before that, this is what we call like the perfect storm for limbic system impairment. And even prior to that, about six months before that happened, I was in a car accident where I had a neck and uh, a minor whiplash injury. And um, that was probably about the fifth car accident prior to um, this mold and chemical exposure. Anyway, for the five months that I was in this building, I started to progressively get symptoms like anxiety, chronic muscle and joint pain, um, and this growing sensitivity to just everyday things in my environment, like perfumes and colognes. That's how it started with perfumes and colognes. And um, I really didn't notice that my senses or my sensory perception was changing. I just thought that everything else had changed. So, you know, my favorite saying used to be, if somebody walked by with perfume or something, I would say, that stinks can't you smell that? And really, it felt like I was being poisoned, literally poisoned by any kind of chemical exposure. Um, so anyway, again, I spent about five months in that building and um, I moved out of the building eventually because I recognized that it was the building that was actually making me sick. But by that time, it was too late. The damage was already done. So I moved into another office building and uh, I had a a tipping point. This is what I call a tipping point. It was kind of a probably everyday kind of thing for someone else. But I was walking through a bookstore and I walked by a scented candle display. And um, again, for someone else, they might be okay with that. But for my system, I'm not really sure what happened. But at that point, something happened to my brain. And I went over the edge in terms of this flight or flight response that just did not stop. So at that point, it felt like I was having a brain hemorrhage or something, light hurt, sound hurt, smell hurt, everything hurt. I went to bed and uh, I went home and I went to bed and I prayed for sleep. And when I woke up the next morning, 
say um, I was a seven out of 10 on the chemical sensitivity scale before I went to bed. Uh, when I woke up the next morning, I was like a 15 out of 10. I couldn't wear the same clothes that I'd worn because my brain was now picking up on the smallest amount of uh, chemical residue from uh, laundry detergent as potentially life-threatening. So that started a very bizarre kind of science fiction world where I really had to navigate where I was going and how I did life. Um, you know, if I was walking down the street and someone happened to have, uh, they were doing their laundry and they had dryer exhaust uh, going off, uh, if I walked by that, I might go into convulsions. So it was very serious, hugely debilitating. I had to quit my job. I had to, you know, stop socializing with people. I was very much homebound and getting depressed. And just when I thought that things couldn't get any worse, they actually did. So overnight, or what seemed like overnight, I developed electric hypersensitivity syndrome. So by this time, I've already got severe chemical sensitivities. I also have fibromyalgia. I'm suffering from anxiety and insomnia and a host of other things. And then I developed this EMF sensitivity. So what that meant was that my body could detect EMF fields. Now, what that means for the people that don't know what that, what that is, is I was reacting physically to electromagnetic fields, which could be found in, you know, on, through cell phones or, you know, your appliances, television, computer, wireless. So it was at that point where, um, and I, I knew the symptoms because they were creating some of the same symptoms that I had with severe chemical sensitivities. And it felt like my body was going to go into convulsions at any second. I lost my ability to speak, which was a common symptom with severe MCS as well. And um, I just knew that I had to remove myself from where I was living. At the time, I was living with my partner, James, in a condo in Kelowna, British Columbia. And, uh, you know, everybody has wireless. I couldn't get away from it. I was just trying to find like a 10 foot space within my home where I wasn't really severely reacting and I could not find it. So uh, I ended up having to camp and I phoned one of my friends who was my support group, part of my support group when I was suffering from MCS, he had it too. And uh, I phoned him crying, you can imagine. And I said, Bill, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. This is crazy. I know I'm not crazy, but I don't, I really don't know what to do. My body is reacting to EMFs and my skin is burning and all kinds of weird things. And I said, I, I just need to go somewhere. And um, he lovingly said, Annie, take my tent, take my stuff, take my gear and go camping, do whatever you need to do to survive. And I have to tell you at that point, I really didn't know how I was going to survive because I thought, uh, A, I'm not a camping kind of girl. I would be horrible at that show Survivor. I don't know how to do life like that. And, um, but I packed up all of my belongings and my dog and my husband, James, and we went camping for a while. And then uh, it was weird because even before this time, I knew that my brain was being affected. It really made sense to me that my brain was not processing sensory information accurately anymore. And that somehow the flight or flight centers in my brain were being triggered so much so that it was uh, distorting some of the information that was coming into my brain and um, making this overreactive, overresponsive, um, hypervigilant reaction in my brain that was also affecting my immune system, my endocrine system, my neurology, all of it. So that's how I ended up homeless is because I developed EMF sensitivities. Now in terms of looking at, you know, how did I start to look at the brain? Well, it made sense for me that this was some form of brain injury, some form of brain trauma, something was wrong. And I started to look at what area was, of the brain was responsible for sense of smell? Because to me, that seemed like the right place to start. Well, and I should say, I had already tried a lot of other treatments that weren't helping. So by a, through a process of deductive reasoning, I really came to this area of, I need to research the brain and what area of the brain is responsible for sense of smell. 
So that led me to the limbic system and looking at, you know, how the limbic system is this emotional and reactive part of our brain, right? It's known as the, um, the feeling and reacting brain. And it's responsible for filtering our uh, sensory information, like the billions of bits of information that are coming at us at any given time for filtering that information, both sensory information, emotional information, um, and really sorting that information into two distinct categories, safe or unsafe. So you can imagine that if any of those neurons along that neural network are damaged or not working functionally in any way, then it can start to categorize information that would not normally be considered as dangerous or life-threatening as life-threatening. And this is a very unconscious response. The brain gets stuck in this um, flight, flight or freeze mechanism. It becomes an unconscious response. So it's not anything that you're doing that's creating this response. The brain just gets stuck there. So I started to, to do a lot of research around the limbic system and neuroplasticity, which is basically the brain's ability to change. Um, so what I found out was there were a lot of overlapping research papers about uh, this area of the brain and how there's a common denominator for a lot of different illnesses with this overactivation of the fear centers of the brain or in the limbic system. So between chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, chemical sensitivities, depression, anxiety, and I thought, okay, you know what, that makes a lot of sense to me. And then through reading a lot of information about the latest research in neuroplasticity, and in particular, uh, Dr. Norman Doidge, who wrote the book, The Brain That Changes Itself. It was in reading his book that I had a huge aha moment. So he was talking about Dr. Jeffrey Schwartz, who is the guru for OCD. And Dr. Jeffrey Schwartz uh, really recognized that with OCD, there was a part of the brain that just wasn't functioning properly. And that's what kept people in this feeling of contamination or kind of obsessive worrying. And I thought, you know, I don't have OCD, but certainly I feel like my mind or my brain is stuck. And through my experience of being the curious observer of self and the work that I used to do as a core belief counselor, I looked for patterns, patterns of thought patterns, emotional patterns, behavioral patterns that might lead to uh, specific results. So I was already really skilled at being that curious observer and looking at my own patterns. And what I recognized was I was stuck in a flight, flight, or freeze pattern, that my world had been all of a sudden there was this lens of threat that I was looking at the world through. And it wasn't that I was consciously doing that, but that somehow my brain was stuck there. And that was affecting my immune system, endocrine system, a whole bunch of other systems. So anyway, back to the brain that changes itself. So Dr. Jeffrey Schwartz's work, what he did, which was amazing, and I wish that I had this, was he had patients come in and he would scan their brain to see how the brain was operating when they were having an OCD attack. And then he gave them a series of exercises to do, to go home, self-directed neuroplasticity, do these exercises, and I'm going to measure your brain when you come back in to see how the brain has actually changed. So when he had his patients come back into the office and scan their brain, he noticed that the brain was actually changing. And the more that people practice these exercises, the more the brain changed. And to the fact, to the point where they actually reversed the changes that were happening in OCD and they, they became able to function in life again. So it seemed to me like that was the right place to look. And I started to become my own personal guinea pig, looking at how could I change the limbic system knowing that it was the feeling and reacting brain and knowing that it could be categorizing information uh, or distorting information, how could I really look at that, the symptoms as a limbic system impairment rather than um, a collection of a million different symptoms or a bunch of different um, diagnoses? How could I look at this as one kernel, one area of the brain that might be expressing in a lot of different um, systems. So that's, that's, that's how I got to really looking at how the brain can be responsible 
or at the kernel or certainly involved with a lot of these different uh, chronic illnesses. Yeah, it's quite an amazing story and it reminds me of the uh, philosophy that I'm fond of which is inverse paranoid and that is uh, relates to the fact that every one of us is going to go through challenges in life it's just inevitable if you don't haven't had it already you're certainly going to get them and you certainly had your uh, <clears throat> share of them that, that you just described but the, the the perspective that seems to initiate a really and catalyze a really healing change is to take the position that there's some kernel of goodness in this and and uh, you in your case that clearly was the case because you developed a strategy that really hadn't been uh, identified previously to address this type of brain injury and not only helped yourself but can help so many other people and we're going to get into some more details of that but I'm wondering before you start ex exploring the details how, why, why do you think you took that perspective? Because clearly you did. And I'm wondering, what is it about you that caused you to take this uh, direction to identify a healing strategy? Because no one else had looked at it yet. <laughs> well, it still came from many, the case for many yeah. people that, that you, you're helping. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like no one had really explored brain function as it relates to these illnesses. And not just brain function, but a brain trauma, like mm -hmm. this is not unlike post-traumatic stress disorder, I think. So um, it's or another- traumatic brain, Or traumatic brain injury. Or a traumatic brain injury, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I think it was just because nobody else had really looked there and it made sense to me because my symptoms were so cognitive in nature. Not only was my immune system overreacting and my endocrine system was crazy, I could not form a sentence so my cognitive function was so off. And you know, for a person who really uh, prides herself in being a really great communicator, and that was my job, was you know, I, I was a core belief counselor, I was in the communication industry, I wrote a newspaper column every week called Emotional Rescue, I was on the radio, I was considered to be an emotional wellness expert. So communication was huge for me. And all of a sudden I became this very dumbed down, version of not even myself of somebody else i don't even know who that was that was annie with a brain injury and i'm telling you annie with a brain injury did not know how to speak and could not speak i would actually literally lose my voice or when i started to talk i would say something that really didn't make any sense it wasn't actually what i was thinking so there was a, there was a disconnection between my brain my ability to speak uh to formulate thoughts and to articulate anything that I wanted to say. So it seemed to me that there was something very cognitively off as well. And I had a lot of brain fog, you know, that just not being able to focus, um, inability to, yeah, just articulate, to think, to put thoughts together, to string a sentence together, all of that. So it seemed to me that a, what a lot of other people were missing was looking at the cognitive piece and how it was affecting my thought process how it was affecting my emotional process, how it was affecting my behaviors. And I think it was because of my experience in my prior career that really honed my ability to look for patterns. That, that's what I was good at. I was good at looking for patterns. So I was recognizing my own patterns. What was happening in my own brain? How was this uh, flight, flight, or freeze mechanism and this lens of threat that I was looking through, how is it affecting my thoughts? How is it affecting my emotions? How is it affecting my behaviors? How is it affecting my immune system, my endocrine system, my nervous system? So it was really about looking at all of that um, and how the nervous system was affecting all of those different areas that um, I came up with a strategy. And um, you know, I was just as surprised as anyone else, to be honest with you. Um, when I started to notice changes in symptoms, you know, my first thought was, hallelujah. <laughs> like, I, can't, I cannot believe that I have access to the system within my own brain and that I can self-direct changes in my brain and be able to change symptoms because of that. Um, it was absolutely... Uh, you know, when people speak about aha moments or miracle moments or whatever, that was a miracle moment. I was like, oh my goodness, 
I have the capacity within myself to actually influence this part of my brain. And through influencing this part of my brain and rewiring the brain, it actually dampens and reduces symptoms and miraculously normalized my sensory perception. So when your sensory perception goes back to being normal, then your body's no longer reacting to everything. So that made it possible for me to live in the world again and be of the world again and be an active participant in my life. So, you know, I didn't have to be afraid when someone was walking by with perfume or be afraid of wireless or think about all the horrible things that it might do. And, you know, I think that's when it's interesting, you know, you talk about the gift and I want to talk about the gift for a second because when I started to get sick, I really started to, um, look at and investigate what were in the products that I was reacting to and why might my body be reacting to that. And that led me on a whole new adventure of becoming environmentally aware and looking at what chemicals were in the products that I was using, uh, how they could be neurotoxic or carcinogenic. Um, and that gave me a great reason to actually start using and using different products and living my life in a completely different way. So I think the, this, there's a silver lining in this illness and the, for me and uh, you know, a silver lining and a gift in looking at how could I live my life in a different way, not only to you know, decrease the symptoms when I had that brain injury, but also for the future. You know, when, I, when I rewired my limbic system, Seriously, I can go anywhere. I can do anything. It doesn't matter. It doesn't affect me. It's great. However, I still walk through my life with a degree of environmental awareness because I think that's good for everyone. And it's a very good way to prevent this illness from actually starting to begin with. And that's a really, you know, that speaks to a really good Another point, which is what causes this, right? What causes limbic system impairment? So it could be a number of different causes. It could be viral, could be bacterial, it could be emotional, uh, emotional stress, psychological stress. It could be uh, chemical injury, mold injury, excessive uh, EMF uh, exposure, any of that. And usually it's a combination of all of that that leads to what we call the perfect storm. So these kind of stresses are accumulative. And uh, certainly, so when we look at prevention, we want to really know how to deal with day-to-day -day stress and create a beautiful office environment, a beautiful home environment, so that we're not stressing our brain um, inappropriately or unnecessarily with all of these uh, stressors, everyday stressors in life. So ultimately you developed the dynamic neural retraining system mm -hmm. and uh, now offer it as a course that you have throughout the country and uh, actually a DVD set so that people can learn these principles. Obviously in uh, tr uh, the training in person is a little bit better, but for those who are unable to do that, that the DVD course is available and it's not a quick process, which is uh, a bit, a bit of surprise me initially heard it. It's not something you'd, you know, one hour and you're done. This can be take many, many months. And you have some dramatic illustrations and examples of people who've gone through it in your book that really highlight the extent of the dramatic recovery where people regain their entire lives back as you did. Mm -hmm. So uh, we could talk about the process a little bit and, you know, how long it took you to recover and, you know, what your evolution of the training program was. Sure, absolutely. So first of all, I'm excited to announce that we've uh, launched our DVD series. So we have a 14-hour instructional DVD series uh, where people can learn from the comfort of their own home. And we've just launched the online uh, series as well. So they can do this online. Um, it's available through our website called retrainingthebrain.com. Uh, we also have a five-day interactive uh, training uh, program and yeah I would say that absolutely if you have that option then uh, it is the best way to learn the program that's our gold standard come to the five-day interactive training and we hold those throughout North America and in Europe um, so uh, that would be the best way to to uh, access the program again through DVDs or online um, 
And I think going back to the six month thing, um, or the duration of time, we recommend that people practice what the, the program for at least six months, every day for at least six months, because it takes a while to change those neural networks. So even though people might start feeling changes within a few days or a few weeks or a few months, you really want to repeat uh, those exercises on a regular basis to make those really permanent changes in the brain. And, you know, when I talk about the program, I really talk about, uh, I, I came up with this uh, uh, acronym called IMAGINE, and that really kind of encapsulates the strategy of the program. And if we look for I in IMAGINE, it stands for intention. And, you know, when we look at rewiring the brain, we, re we need to recognize that our intention is not necessarily to decrease symptoms right away, although that is our long-term goal, but our intention is to really focus on strengthening alternative neural circuitry and move a focus away from symptoms as much as we can to really strengthening alternative neural circuitry so that we can change that flight, flight, or freeze response in the brain, normalize limbic system function, and in time, that will also change uh, the endocrine system, the immune system, uh, the nervous system, all of that. So that is going to take time. So again, the intention is to not decrease symptoms in, uh, right away, but to really focus on strengthening alternative neural circuitry. Um, M stands for motivation. So when we look at, it does take motivation because this is, like you said, it's not an overnight fix. This is a at least a minimum of a six month program where you're going to have to uh, find the motivation to keep going, to get, get up daily and do these exercises, just like someone would go to the gym and work out or do some other form of exercise. It does take a degree of motivation. Um, it doesn't take a lot of energy to do these uh, exercises or to actually implement the program, but it does take focus and dedication. The A stands for awareness and association. So we really want to become aware of how, when you have limbic system impairment, how it's affecting your thoughts, your emotions, your behaviors. And when you catch those thoughts, emotions, behaviors in that moment, to be able to redirect the brain in that moment into an alternate route so that it doesn't continue to go down the pathways the neural pathways that are associated with this impairment. We also have to look at our associations. What kind of associations have we created with stimuli that might be activating the threat centers in our brain um, on a continuous basis? So how can we change the associations to that? We also look at G, G stands for gains. So it's really important to recognize what gains that you're making throughout your retraining process. And this is interesting because we all have an innate negativity bias, meaning that we're going to notice what's going wrong before we notice what's going right. So if you have limbic system impairment, that negativity bias can be magnified because of the impairment itself. So it's very important that we look at what's going right what are the small gains that we're making? Because those small gains that you are making will actually uh, formulate the, the threat of your recovery. Uh, then we look at I, and I stands for incremental training. So we're really going to, it's a form of neural shaping that helps strengthen alternative neural circuitry. So we want to, in some cases, use uh, small amounts of exposure therapy or different, uh, you know, if you're talking about a, a, a sensory stimulus, you would use some form of sensory stimulus, small exposure therapy to retrain the brain that way. And, uh, uh, but for other things like fatigue, you would be incrementally training through um, uh, movement or some kind of uh, something that's going to expend energy. For food sensitivities, you're going to be reintroducing foods in a specific way. Um, so for chronic pain, you're going to be actually doing the program a little bit differently. So there are various different ways that you can incrementally train when you're going through the program. Um, N stands for neurological and emotional rehearsal. So there's a part of the program where we really look at using our imagination and visualization. Now, the great thing about imagination is the brain does not know the difference between what's real and what's imagined. So we really um, look at that as a, a great um, a great gold nugget that we can utilize. I mean, if we could, there, there is no... Uh, there's no end to how we can use our imagination to help in retraining the brain. So we have this very specific guided 
um, visualization process that people go through to really uh, start to change the neurochemistry that is being released in the brain. So, you know, typically we're in that flight, flight or freeze response. We're releasing a lot of cortisol, adrenaline, norepinephrine. So we stop through visualization and through um, uh, specific guided visualization techniques, we're able to actually stop the production of those hormones and really look at creating the opposite, which is dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins. So what we say there is we kick the can, which is cortisol, adrenaline, adrenaline and norepinephrine, and get your daily dose, which is dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins. So we do that through specific visualization techniques. And E stands for environmental awareness. Now we really want to ensure that you're, you have great success with rewiring your limbic system. And part of that is looking at your day-to-day -day environment. How can you set yourself up for success so that you're creating the most uh, pristine and beautiful healing environment for your brain as you go through the program? Yes, indeed. And um, the name of your book is Wired for Healing. It really is appropriate for your therapy. It isn't initially, but when you read the book, you understand it because the, the, the central principle is that the neurons or the nerves or the circuits that fire together, wire together. And so that's the, the, the purpose of many of these exercises is to rewire them in the direction of healing because they've been so hyper-facilitated in the direction of injury that you need to start changing that process. Yes, absolutely. And that's, uh, that speaks to Donald Hebb's work. He was a Canadian psychologist. He coined the term neurons that fire together, wire together. And absolutely, you're, you're so correct in that. When you have a limbic system injury, when you have a limbic system impairment, the brain has been traumatized through whatever form of uh, stressor or trauma. You know, those flight, flight, or freeze centers get overactivated in the brain. And once they start to develop this hyperreactivity, it happens unconsciously. It just starts firing all the time. And it's not something you're aware of. It's something that's going on below the waterline of your consciousness. Um, so, yeah, it just starts this overactivation of this these neural networks in the brain. And once they start to fire together, they wire together. And once it's repeated it gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And those neural, neural connections, not only do they get faster, they get deeper, they start to connect to other, uh, you start to, to create new neural, con neural connections that, that make that flight or flight response even stronger with repetition. Okay, I'd, I'd like to talk about a, another issue that is not discussed in the book, but I think is significant, and that is there's first two points that are we take for granted that a your program works i mean you've got lots of testimonials and documentations of the improvements of these techniques so that's not not in we're, we're not uh, there's not a controversy about this the other mm -hmm. is that clearly stress is a big issue for many illnesses i mean even the conservative cdc acknowledges that it's a component of about 85 percent of illness but there's there's also so you have a neurological brain injury but then you also have a cellular injury. Mm -hmm. And uh, the two that I can address would be the toxic ones, uh, the chemical exposures, and also EMF, which I've studied quite a bit. Yeah. So in, in my view is that the body's protective mechanism is to alar alarm, alarm and alert you. So that's why you get this injury to begin with. And that causes all the symptoms, many of which you described and had earlier in, in, in your uh, presentation but it doesn't really address the cellular injury because there's real damage that occurs it's independent of this wiring and reaction so i just want to make it clear that you really do need to address both and it's been my observations that people like yourself who have emf hypersensitivity are actually in the long term much better because there's they have this internal meter that warns them to stay away from these scenarios now that warning signal can be improved. You don't need it perpetually as through your pro through programs like yours. But I wonder if you can address the difference between cellular and neurological injury. Hmm, that's a really good question. Let me see if I can do that justice. Well, I think that on a cellular level, there are changes happen taking place, absolutely. And I think it's important to actually support the body and heal the body because 
uh, yeah, that's just an important part of the healing process for many people. Um, and addressing the brain is also equally an important part of, uh, you know, addressing that overall picture of health. But yeah, you're right. You know, there's sometimes, you know, let's take chemical injury, for example, right? So you have some kind of chemical injury, you know, is it affecting the tissues? Is it affecting the cellular level? Absolutely. You know, people will uh, get, you know, detoxification might be a good thing for most people. But for the person who has a limbic system injury, they'll still be sick even after they've detoxified. Mm -hmm. So even after they've gone through detoxification treatments, or they might find that detoxification treatments actually heightened symptoms rather than lower symptoms because the brain is stuck in that trauma state. So the initial injury is absolutely affected the cells of the body. It's also affected the brain. We could do, you know, all these treatments to help with the cellular, clearing the body cellular, what has happened and healing the body. And yet for a lot of people, that will be enough. But for the people that have had who their, their brain has been affected by this injury, it is not enough. So, or it might not be enough. So if they're still sick, then we really want to look at that brain component too. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. And I think it's an important point to emphasize because there is a potential for much confusion because if you remove the symptoms as your technique clearly does for most of the people who try it, that doesn't necessarily mitigate the cellular injury that's occurred. So that you ideally you want to do both and you're clearly acknowledging it. So you want to improve the cellular injury, remove yourself from the stress, but that may not be enough and frequently isn't enough to repair the limbic injury, which is what your technique addresses. So it's the combination of the two that's so crucial. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, it's an interesting point about the alarm system, you know, like how, you know, when we have MCS or EMF, we, you know, for me, I thought, oh, well, I have an early warning system. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Lucky me, right? But then I, I looked at that in two different ways. I thought, okay, well, I could have an early warning system, but what if the warning system isn't working properly? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I had to look at it from two different angles. Like, yes, it's a good warning system, but the warning system itself isn't actually working effectively right now. So because it was a warning system, that's why, you know, like I say, there's always two truths, right? Like, yeah. yes, we live in a very toxic environment and we want to be able to heal the brain wow. and body and keep that in mind. Mm -hmm. I think a good analogy would be the warning lights on your, in your car, at least a, an ice car, internal combustion engine, which has these sensors in the engine that they're connected to lights on your dashboard. And if your oil temperature goes up, or your water temperature, your coolant, the lights will come on. And it's like those lights came on and alerted you and you had went to the garage or the, and you had a, had the, problem fixed but the, they didn't fix that sensor and that's what's happened in these yes. limbic injuries that sensor still giving that signal even though it's not necessary now, i mean it may be necessary but it, the, much of the time it isn't necessary because you've already addressed the issue yeah exactly that is a fantastic anal analogy i love it yeah yeah so i think it would be very helpful for many to understand the breadth and the scope of those who have been injured and have been helped by your technique. So you've got many terrific illustrations in your book, but I'm wondering if you could share one or two of those now. Yeah, sure. Um, I think I'd like to talk about Riley who had uh, chronic Lyme disease. He's actually not in my book, uh, but his testimonial can be looked, can be viewed on our website. Um, Riley had Lyme disease and had been to see a number of really great practitioners. And um, he was actually bedridden for three years, could not talk, could not speak, could not eat. His mom kept him alive by feeding him little Dixie, cup, uh, Dixie cups of soup to keep him alive. Uh, he'd been through to a lot of really great practitioners and he came a long way. He was actually paralyzed as well. Uh, par 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 partially paralyzed, like, you know, it doesn't get any worse than that. He was sensitive to light, to sound, to movement, to chemicals, to everything. He'd also had a mold um, exposure. And um, he'd been to a lot of really great practitioners and they got him to walking again and being able to talk. But he was still left with a lot of different issues like food sensitivities, chemical sensitivities, some OCD, uh, some movement disorder, um, he had really ratchety kind of motor function. Um, 
yeah, so Riley came to the program and uh, I would say it took him probably about a year to recover from the symptoms that were left. And exactly what you said, after a lot of the other things were treated in the body to help his body to recover. Um, and uh, anyway, he had these leftover symptoms that were related to limbic system impairment. So uh, it took him about a year to recover and he's fully recovered. He's, you know, he traveled in Europe and backpacking for a year. So that's a pretty amazing story. I think one of the other stories that I'd like to tell you is about Lauren and Lauren had postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. And um, Lauren is in my book, uh, her chapter is called from wheelchair to rollerblades. So Lauren had been to the Mayo Clinic. She'd been all over the place. Her parents had spent oh, well over $300,000 looking for answers. And um, Again, she had something called postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, which is an autonomic nervous system dysfunction. Or POTS for short. POTS for short. That's right. Yeah. And um, so Lauren was unable to sit upright or walk because if she stood up, her heart rate would escalate and her, low, her blood pressure would uh, be so low that she might faint. So she was operating in the world lying down. So lying down or um, sitting in a reclined wheelchair. So she did the DVDs initially, and her father was super creative. The guy was a genius. Um, she was actually so sound sensitive that she couldn't actually watch the DVDs. So he lowered the, I don't know what he did to the sound, but he, he did something to the sound so that it wouldn't actually trigger Lauren when she was watching the DVDs. So she started with the DVDs, started to make some improvement, and then attended a five-day seminar. And for some people, the DVD or the online program is that stepping stone to get to the in-person program, although many people actually recover with the DVD or the online program just with that itself. So anyway, Lauren shows up to the program and she's in this reclined wheelchair and has very labored breath. And, and I'm kind of thinking, okay, let's see. So let's see what happens. And during the five days, she understood exactly what was happening. She understood that there the limbic system in her brain was not functioning properly. She knew what to do and she went home and she started practicing and she engaged in the program. And so did Riley, like an Olympic athlete. They both did very well. And Lauren was uh, rollerblading a month later. So uh, not to say that she was rollerblading for an extended amount of time or that she was perfectly healthy in one month, but she did go from being in a wheelchair to rollerblading within one month. Uh, she also had chronic fatigue syndrome, um, a host of food sensitivities, mast cell activation uh, syndrome, and um, I forget what else. But anyway, uh, yeah, so those are two really great stories that I can share with you. But, um, and the last one, actually, this is a really fun story. This is someone who took the program in November, and she had um, a balance disorder. And uh, apparently there's no, no treatment for that that works. And uh, what's it called? Maldebarkment mal or something like that, MDDS. And um, mm -hmm. anyway, so she came to the program and uh, at that time she could barely walk because she felt like when she was walking, every step was like uh, stepping on a trampoline. And uh, she couldn't shower by herself. She had to sit down in a shower, shower chair in the shower. Her husband actually basically had to take care of her. She couldn't walk up the stairs. Movement was really, really hard for her. And that specific balance disorder is something that they call, um, it's something that happens sometimes when people go on cruises or they're off at sea and then they come back on land, but they never actually get their land legs. They always feel like they're rocking or moving somehow. So anyway, uh, she did the program in November and I just got an email from her a couple of days ago and she said, I went to my doctor and she's so happy. She knows that I'm recovering and she's so, uh, you know, uh, excited about the improvements that I'm seeing. And um, she went to, uh, she lives in New York. She went to, um, <clears throat> she went to, uh, what is that place in New York? Time Is it Times Square where they have the big Christmas tree? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Well, they dropped the New Year's ball. That's where. Yeah. Year's anyway, ball. she went. Yeah, she went there and she was walking around with her husband just being like a normal person. And uh, she's so excited and ecstatic that, you know, she has really she rewired her limbic system and now has her life back. So 
those are the kinds of results that we often see. And uh, we have two research projects that are happening right now. One is with McMaster University in Hamilton, Canada. And uh, it's an observational study that followed 100 participants who went through the program who had varying different diagnoses and looking at um, how their quality of life and symptoms have changed over the period of a year. They followed them for a year. The second uh, research um, initiative that's happening is at the University of Calgary. Um, and that's where we're going to be looking at brain scans, hopefully for people that have chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia or chemical sensitivities to see, you know, to get a baseline brain scan and then look at, um, you know, how the brain changes when someone is actually implementing the program for a period of at least six months. So there's, those are some really great stories and also uh, developments yeah. around research. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And uh, clearly, there are a number of people who do really well. And I'm wondering if you could estimate the percentage of people who tend to improve in the program. And then, more importantly, if there's any people who shouldn't be considered for your program. And I suspect many of the uh, characteristics of that individual might be personal motivational characteristics. Yeah, um, it's a really good question. So, you know, our estimated success rate of improving quality of life is 90%. I think that the research from McMaster University will be uh, a great study and we'll really be able to have some validated um, research to support those numbers. So we're looking at a 90% improvement. Um, and for people, people who we would advise not to take the program. So I think motivation absolutely is part of that. You have to be motivated to, to do the program but also anybody who's experiencing a high degree of stress right now. And having said that, I always get called on this because people go, you know what? I was homeless and I started your program and I recovered anyway. So, you know, homelessness is a really big stress. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend that for a starting place if you can, but by all means, you know, give it your best go. You might not get the results that you want to see as quickly, but that doesn't mean that you won't see results. Um, also, you know, anybody who has, a, you know, if you have schizophrenia or something like that, I don't think that the program would be uh, a very good match. Or, yeah, so extreme emotional stress, like, um, you know, if, you, if you're going through a court case or something like that, that wouldn't be a good time to, to, to start the program because you have a lot of stress that you're dealing with in that moment in time. So um, situational stressors, like um, if someone just passed away and you're going through the grieving process, well, that might not be a really good time to start the course. Uh, would that the with the rewiring process? Well, I just think that, you know, I, th I think that it will just, you know, if you have any kind of added stress, then it can slow down the progress. Absolutely. It doesn't mean that it's impossible, but it might slow the progression down. And I think that, you know, if someone's just passed away, you're dealing with grief or loss, that there's a natural progression to grieving and a natural process of the grieving, uh, uh, where grieving takes place. And I don't think that that would actually be a really great time to start the program because we really want people to focus um, specifically on elevating their emotional state as much as they can, not only when they're doing the exercises and also throughout the day. So if you're in a grieving process, it's kind of a little bit difficult to do. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, that was, uh, thank you for sharing that. And do you have any other items you'd like to discuss about your program that we haven't covered already? Um, I don't think so. I, I, I would just say to anyone who's been suffering a long time from so many of these different chronic and mysterious illnesses, whether it's chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, chemical sensitivities, electric hypersensitivity syndrome, Lyme disease, food sensitivities. I mean, the, the list just goes on and on. Um, you know, to don't give, don't give up hope. Uh, I think that engaging in limbic system retraining can only help. Um, and, uh, yeah, to, there's, there's, yeah, just don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. There's an answer. There's a way out of suffering. And uh, my personal goal, I made a promise to myself when I was sick that if and when I found an answer that I would share that with the world. And I'm doing my very best to do that. We have a very big, well, our team is expanding. 
and expanding more and more. The DVD has been translated into seven languages. Um, and yeah, we have people from all over the world in over 65 countries report to us that they're recovering their health through limbic system retraining. So um, all I would like to say is uh, give it a try, embrace the program. I think that people will be pleasantly surprised with the results. Yeah, and of course, uh, the base uh, start place could be the book, Wired for Healing, that discusses this in detail, but doesn't really provide a training program. That's really more with the courses you've developed and the in, in, the in-person training. And I'm wondering, uh, do you, are you at all the courses or do you have people under you so that they can, you can share the number of courses and the availability of them? Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, no, I don't, I don't teach at every program. And uh, we have a team of instructors uh, that go out to uh, various different locations throughout the States. We have um, very specific, uh, you can imagine, we have a very high standard for places that we're looking at hosting these programs because we know that people have sensitivity issues. And mm -hmm. uh, we want to make sure that the uh, hotels or the retreat centers or wherever we hold the programs can really meet our standards and providing um, excellent care for our clients and also um, cater to the individual needs of people because a lot of people have various food sensitivities and can only eat this or eat that. So we, we wanna make sure that we provide the most excellent care that we can for people when they're at the in-training uh, program. So we have a very select few centers within North America where we repeatedly go to teach these programs. Um, and uh, yeah, so uh, again, the DVD is great. The online program is great. It's a 14-hour instructional program that you can do from the comfort of your own home. Like you said, the book is a really great book. It is the science behind what we do. It has my personal story and a handful of other people's recovery stories, but it doesn't show you what to do because retraining your brain is actually an experiential process. It's not an intellectual process. So you really have to be involved in the experience of retraining your brain. And that's not something that I can write about. Um, so again, the online program, the DVD, or attend a five-day um, seminar. Well, great. Well, thank you for sharing your story and putting together a program that can help so many people because these are challenging issues. And as you said, in one of the stories you uh, shared is that you can see some of the best clinicians in the world and you can remove the cellular physical component, but that brain rewiring is still there and setting off those alarm bells that causes all these confusing signals and really complicate your life and makes it a real challenge to live a normal life. So thankfully your program exists and can help people recover. Thanks so much, Dr. Mercola, for having me on your show. It's been just such a pleasure and an honor. Thank you.